bleak twilight of an arctic dawn brought with it only the threat, at times almost the certainty, of never seeing the next. A ghost ship, almost. A legend. The Ulysses was also a young ship, but she had grown old in the Russian convoys and on the Arctic patrols. She had been there from the beginning, and had known no other life. At first she had operated alone, escorting single ships or groups of two or three. Later, she had operated without her squadron, the 14th Escort Carrier Group. But the Ulysses had never really sailed alone. Death had been, still was, her constant companion. He laid his finger on a tanker, and there was the erupting hell of a high-octane detonation. On a cargo liner, and she went to the bottom with a load of war supplies, her back broken by a German torpedo. On a destroyer, and she knifed her way into the grey-black depths of the Barents Sea, her still racing engines her own executioners. On a U-boat, and she surfaced violently to be destroyed by gunfire, or slid down gently to the bottom of the sea, the dazed, shocked crew hoping for a cracked pressure hull and merciful instant extinction, dreading the endless gasping agony of suffocation in their iron tomb on the ocean floor. Where the Ulysses went, there also went death. But death never touched her. She was a lucky ship, a lucky ship and a ghost ship, and the Arctic was her home. Illusion, of course, this ghostliness but a calculated illusion. The Ulysses was designed specifically for one task, for one ocean, and the camouflage experts had done a marvellous job. The special Arctic camouflage, the broken slanting diagonals of grey and white and washed-out blues, merged beautifully, imperceptibly, into the infinite shades of grey and white, the cold, bleak grimness of the barren northern seas and the camouflage was only the outward, the superficial indication of her fitness for the north. Technically, the Ulysses was a light cruiser. She was the only one of her kind, a 5,500-ton mollification of the famous Dido type, a forerunner of the Black Prince class. 510 feet long, narrow in her 50-foot beam with a raked stem, square cruiser stern and long forecastle deck extending well abaft the bridge, a distance of over two hundred feet, she looked and was a lean, fast and compact warship, dangerous and durable. Locate, engage, destroy. These are the classic requirements of a naval ship in wartime, and to do each, and to do it with maximum speed and efficiency, the Ulysses was superbly equipped. Location, for instance. The human element, of course, was indispensable, and Valerie was far too experienced and battle-wise a captain to underestimate the value of the unceasing vigil of lookouts and signalmen. The human eye was not subject to blackouts, technical hitches or mechanical breakdowns. Radio reports, too, had their place, and Asdick, of course, was the only defence against submarines. But the Ulysses' greatest strength in location lay elsewhere. She was the first completely equipped radar ship in the world. Night and day, the radar scanners atop the fore and main tripod masts swept ceaselessly 
in a 360-degree arc, combing the far horizons, searching, searching. Below in the radar rooms, eight in all, and in the fighter direction rooms, trained eyes, alive to the slightest abnormality, never left the glowing screens. The radar's efficiency and range were alike fantastic. The makers, optimistically as they had thought, had claimed a 40 to 45 mile operating range for their equipment. On the Ulysses' first trials after her refit for its installation, the radar had located a condor, subsequently destroyed by a blenheim, at a range of 85 miles. Engage. That was the next step. Sometimes the enemy came to you. More often you had to go after him. And then one thing alone mattered. Speed.